My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, The Story Podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 55, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, Numbers 3, Deuteronomy 3, and Psalm 87. Numbers 3. This is the account of the family of Aaron and Moses at the time the Lord spoke to Moses at Mount Sinai. The names of the sons of Aaron were Nadab, the firstborn, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. Those were the names of Aaron's sons, the anointed priests, who were ordained to serve as priests. Nadab and Abihu, however, died before the Lord when they made an offering with unauthorized fire before him in the desert of Sinai. They had no sons, so Eleazar and Ithamar served as priests during the lifetime of their father Aaron. The Lord said to Moses, Bring the tribe of Levi and present them to Aaron the priest to assist him. They are to perform duties for him and for the whole community at the tent of meeting by doing the work of the tabernacle. They are to take care of all the furnishings of the tent of meeting, fulfilling the obligations of the Israelites by doing the work of the tabernacle. Give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are the Israelites who are to be given wholly to him. Appoint Aaron and his sons to serve as priests. Anyone else who approaches the sanctuary is to be put to death. The Lord also said to Moses, I have taken the Levites from among the Israelites in place of the first male offspring of every Israelite woman. The Levites are mine, for all the firstborn are mine. When I struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, I set apart for myself every firstborn in Israel, whether human or animal. They are to be mine. I am the Lord. The Lord said to Moses in the desert of Sinai, Count the Levites by their families and clans. Count every male a month old or more. So Moses counted them, as he was commanded by the word of the Lord. These were the names of the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. These were the names of the Gershonite clan, Libni and Shimei, the Kohathite clans, Amron, Izhar, Hebron, and Azuel, the Merarite clan, Mali, and Mushi. These were the Levite clans, according to their families. To Gershon belong the clans of the Libnites and the Shimeites. These were the Gershonite clans. The number of all the males a month old or more who were counted was 7,500. The Gershonite clan were to camp on the west, behind the tabernacle. The leader of the families of the Gershonites was Elisaph, son of Lael. At the tent of meeting, the Gershonites were responsible for the care of the tabernacle and tent, its coverings, the curtain at the entrance to the tent of meeting, the curtains of the courtyard, and the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard surrounding the tabernacle and altar and the ropes and everything related to their use. To Kohath belonged the clans of the Amrites, Issaharites, Hebronites, and Uzuliites. These were the Kothites clan. The number of all the males a month old or more was 8,600. The Kohathites were responsible for the care of the sanctuary. The Kohathite clan were to camp on the south side of the tabernacle. The leader of the families of the Kohathite clan was Elisaphan, son of Azuliel. They were responsible for the care of the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the articles of the sanctuary used in ministering, the curtain, and everything related to their use. 
The chief leader of the Levites was Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest. He was appointed over those who were responsible for the care of the sanctuary. To Merari belonged the clans of the Malites and the Mushites. These were the Merite clans. The number of all the males a month old or more who were counted was 6,200. The leader of the families of the Merites clan was Zeril, son of Abihal. They were to camp on the north side of the tabernacle. The Merarites were appointed to take care of the frames of the tabernacle, its crossbars, posts, bases, all its equipment, and everything related to their use, as well as the posts of the surrounding courtyard with their bases, tent pegs, and ropes. Moses and Aaron and his sons were to camp to the east of the tabernacle, toward the sunrise, in front of the tent of meeting. They were responsible for the care of the sanctuary on behalf of the Israelites. Anyone else who approached the sanctuary was to be put to death. The total number of Levites counted at the Lord's command by Moses and Aaron, according to their clans, including every male a month old or more, was 22,000. The Lord said to Moses, Count all the firstborn Israelite males who are a month old or more and make a list of their names. Take the Levites for me in place of all the firstborn of the Israelites and the livestock of the Levites in place of all the firstborn of the Levites of the Israelites. I am the Lord. So Moses counted all the firstborn of the Israelites as the Lord commanded him. The total number of firstborn males a month old or more, listed by name, was 22,273. The Lord also said to Moses, Take the Levites in place of all the firstborn of Israel, and the livestock of the Levites in place of their livestock. The Levites are to be mine. I am the Lord, to redeem the 273 firstborn Israelites who exceeded the number of the Levites. Collect five shekels for each one according to the sanctuary shekel, which weighs 20 geras. Give the money for the redemption of the additional Israelites to Aaron and his sons. So Moses collected the redemption money from those who exceeded the number redeemed by the Levites. From the firstborn of the Israelites, he collected silver, weighing 1,365 shekels, according to the sanctuary shekel. Moses gave the redemption money to Aaron and his sons, as he was commanded by the word of the Lord. Deuteronomy 3. Next we turned and went up along the road towards Bashan. And Og, king of Bashan, with his whole army, marched out to meet us in battle of Edria. The Lord said to me, Do not be afraid of him, for I have delivered him into your hands, along with his whole army and his land. Do to him what you did to Sion, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon. So the Lord our God also gave into our hands Og, king of Bashan, and all his army. We struck them down, leaving no survivors. At that time, we took all his cities. There were not one of the six cities that we did not take from them, the whole region of Argob, Og's kingdom, in Bashan. All these cities were fortified with high walls and with gates and bars, and there were also a great many unwalled villages. We completely destroyed them, as we had done with Sion, king of Heshbon, destroying every city, men, women, and children. But all the livestock and the plunder from their cities we carried off for ourselves." So at that time, we took from these two kings of the Amorites the territory east of the Jordan from the Arnon Gorge all far as Mount Hermon. Hermon is called Sirion by the Sidonians. The Amorites called it Sinir. We took all the towns on the plateau and all Gilead and all Bashan as far as Seleka and Edria, towns of Og's kingdom in Bashan. Og, king of Bashan, was the last of the Rephites. His bed was decorated with iron and was more than nine cubits long and four cubits wide. It is still in Rabbah of the Ammonites. Of the land that we took over at that time, I gave the Reubenites and the Gadites the territory north 
of Aror by the Arnon Gorge, including half the hill country of Gilead, together with its towns. The rest of the Gilead and also all of Bashan, the kingdom of Og, I gave to the half-tribe of Manasseh. The whole region of Argob in Bashan used to be known as the land of Rephites. Jair, a descendant of Manasseh, took the whole region of Argob as far as the border of the Gisharites and the Mechathites. It was named after him. So that to this day, Bashan is called Havoth Jair. And I gave Gilead to Makir, but to the Reubenites, and the Gadites, I gave the territory extending from Gilead down to the Arnon Gorge, the middle of the gorge being the border, and out to the Jabbok River, which is the border of the Ammonites. Its western border was the Jordan in the Arba from Kinnereth to the Sea of the Arba, that is the Dead Sea, below the slopes of Pisgah. I command you at that time, the Lord your God has given you this land to take possession of it. But all your able-bodied men armed for battle must cross over ahead of the other Israelites. However, your wives, your children, and your livestock, I know you have much livestock, may stay in the towns I have given you. Until the Lord gives rest to your fellow Israelites as he has to you, and they too have taken over the land that the Lord your God is giving them across the Jordan. After that, each of you may go back to the possession I have given you. At that time, I commanded Joshua, you have seen with your own eyes all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. The Lord will do the same to all the kingdoms over there where you are going. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. At that time, I pleaded with the Lord, sovereign Lord, you have begun to show to your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do the deeds and mighty works you do? Let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that fine hill country and Lebanon. But because of you, the Lord was angry with me and would not listen to me. That is enough, the Lord said. Do not speak to me any more about this matter. Go up to the top of Pisgah and look west and north and south and east. Look at the land with your own eyes since you are not going to cross this Jordan. But commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him for he will lead this people across and will cause them to inherit the land that you will see. So we stayed in the valley near Beth Peor. Psalm 87. He has found his city on the holy mountain. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are said of you, city of God. I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me. Philistia too and Tyre along with Cush. And will say, this one was born in Zion. Indeed, of Zion it will be said, this one, that one were born in her, and the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of all the peoples, this one was born in Zion. As they make music, they will sing, all my fountains are in you. Okay, to orient, we read Numbers 3 today, and this story is situated and tethered to the last part of Exodus where the law and preparations are still being given at Mount Sinai to the people in preparation for their trip to and entrance into the promised land. And then we ended Deuteronomy 2 with Moses' speech about the crushing victory by the Israelites of Sihon, the king of Heshbon, who would not let them pass. As Dr. Gary Miller points out, we read that Yahweh said in chapter 2, verse 31, that I have begun to give Sion and his land over to you. Then in verse 34, it says, we, as in the Israelites, took all and left no survivors. Then, in verse 36, Moses interprets this as God gave all into our hands. 
It is interesting to note that God specifically stated the king who refused to let them pass and the land was being given over, but there is no direct instruction before or note of well done after regarding this expression of leaving no survivors. As we know from Exodus, God can be very specific. And what does this completely destroyed and we left no survivors mean? In Hebrew, to destroy can mean to give over to the Lord. And while the word choice and phrasing of it in English is brutal, Dr. Gary Miller indicates that that was the point to emphasize, the simple lesson that when God's people do things God's way, they win. However, Dr. Gary Miller, an Old Testament biblical scholar who did his doctoral research on Deuteronomy, indicates it may not mean that there were actually no human survivors. In his commentary summary of Deuteronomy on the Gospel Coalition, he points to the classic work of Lawson Young on ancient conquest accounts to suggest that this telling of the story may be like saying the Germans conquered France in World War II, which emphasizes a victory but does not negate the presence of the French resistance. I also liken it to the hyperbolic expression, the saying, it weighs a ton. Everyone in our language and our culture, meaning American and English, knows that that means it's heavy, that it is literal and face value meaning of the expression. It's heavy. I have never known anyone to actually mean it weighs 2,000 pounds. In fact, when people say it, they often can still pick it up and carry it. They are simply communicating how heavy it is. Perhaps in a hundred years, or if someone foreign to this expression were to read it in English when English and American culture are secondary to them, they might think the phrase, it weighs a ton, literally means the object being described weighs 2,000 pounds. After all, without the original language and cultural context, using a face value method would conclude that the other meant 2,000 pounds. But is that really what they meant? For me, when reading this in relation to my understanding of God's immutable character in the rest of the connected story, plus the fact that he did not state to destroy as in leave no survivors, but instead focused on giving over to them the leader and the land, I am personally not convinced, and in fact, I'm quite persuaded that the point is that when we listen to God and do it his way, we pursue the purpose and the mission. Although I know death is a part of it, I mean, we read about the flood, uh, the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, we know what happened in um, the the plagues, and there are times when uh, self-exile and things that lead to death are a part of the story. I think sometimes um, there can be things that are hard to read, and leaving them hard to read is, or putting a pin in it, something to that effect, uh, can be useful. But the one thing I want to encourage you to do is not stop reading the Bible. But some things might remain unanswered or, as we talked about before, not certain. And we never want our hearts to pursue certainty over trusting in God and his immutable character and his wisdom. Because we put that first and we can give our questions to him. Um, He can take it all. And sometimes we may not have the answer now or maybe not in this lifetime, um, but we live in a kingdom with no end if you are in relationship with him. And that is just something I want to encourage you through because I know it's hard and there's going to be a lot more of it. So I want to start now encouraging you. In Deuteronomy 3, we continue to read about the God factor, where the Israelites stood on God's promises, pursuing the purpose and the mission, regardless of expected outcome. I mean, they conquered Og, who was considered a giant king or a really large man. The emphasis of the story is on total victory when we put our trust in God's will and ways. 
In this story, Dr. Miller points to this foreshadowing or anticipated division of the land in Joshua and the special provision of two leaders to receive specific territories or dominions. Dr. Miller also draws my attention to the fact that Moses emphasized in this speech that all Israel needs to be united in the fight for the purpose and the mission at hand. And how in verse 22, it says, it is actually God who will fight for you. It's like our fight is in standing together. How true is that, really? I feel that all the time. The challenge is often between us and the people, and it's it's a hard enough ask to stay together and be united in purpose and mission. And if and when we do this, God is showing up and doing the fighting for us. Then in the end of chapter three, we see it again. Sin has real consequences, as Dr. Miller states. And we can see this is not going to go well when the people camp near Beth Peor, a place synonymous with idolatry. We see this in this instance when Moses seeks to intercede and the answer is no. And he is asked to begin succession planning for Joshua, who is going to take over the leadership in verse 28. Oh, how hard must that be for Moses to hear? It's not only that his time, or if it's us, our time has come to leave the position, but you know, it's even even harder when you're being asked perhaps to train the next person to take the role. Or maybe there's something special in that, that you're still being asked to be a part of the mission and the transition, the liminality into the next chapter. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.